ignore everyone's advice until everyone is telling you the same thing, then start listening. Hey guys, welcome back to the Back Yourself Show. This week we have on Molly Johnson-Jones. She is the co-founder of Flexa Careers. She's had a crazy career anyway, and I want to hear all about it. So Molly, we are talking about just before the show started, we started recording. So what we don't know about you straight away is that you are a world leader in food analysis. <laughs> and that led you into starting a recruitment company. Talk me through that. Of course, a very, very natural transition. Um, yeah, I started my career in investment banking as an equity research analyst covering European supermarkets. Um, I did that for about 18 months and without me realizing, it was actually my experience during those 18 months. That then four years later led me to co-found Flexa. So I was yeah, working in investment banking, covering my European supermarkets and flexible working isn't really a thing in investment banking. I'm sure that you know that, everybody knows that. Um, but I was quite unwell because I've had an autoimmune disease since I was 18. And the long hours, I guess the stress without me really realizing, uh, led me to getting sicker um, to the point where about once a week, I couldn't really walk and like my joints would swell up and like my eyelids would swell up and it was pretty grim, but I was okay working from home. You just obviously don't want to commute to an office for an hour when it really, really hurts to walk. So I asked to work from home one day a week they sent me to an occupational health therapist who actually recommended because obviously they're impartial that I be registered as disabled to protect me from employment discrimination and then 10 days later they put a settlement package in front of me sacked me told me to leave immediately what um, yeah recently when was this? that was in 2016 this is the kind of thing you hear about in like the 60s how could that happen in 2016? That's mad. And it's not unusual. Like I've, I post quite a lot about it on, on LinkedIn, try, kind of tried to raise awareness of the fact that flexible working also is brilliant for people that have conditions or disabilities. And the amount of messages that I get from people who have had like almost identical experiences to me in the last decade, like it's not unusual. Um, so I obviously left because I was sacked. Um, and went into took my took my grocery market knowledge and went to lead a team of food retail researchers at Global Data who were a bit more flexible. Um and then I kind of just kept looking and looking for somewhere that would kind of offer me flexibility without feeling like I had to justify it because yeah. I think that the problem before the pandemic was that like people really felt they had to have a reason to ask for flexible working. And even me with a with a disability didn't feel like my reason was good enough. Um, I didn't want to have to request it or ask for permission. And then that fast forward to 2019, um, after being a grocery expert, a strategy consultant, a UX researcher for fintech banks, like God knows what, um, my partner, who's also my co-founder and I, were talking about how backwards that was and how it was actually detrimental for both candidates and employees like me, but also companies because he was working for a very flexible company and managing a team of people who had great flexibility and the company did better happier better attention but it was never like outwardly publicized to candidates to people that were looking for jobs so we decided to build that because it was a pretty obvious gap in the market i mean look we're going to come back to the the elephant in the room there about starting a a business with your partner yeah. i mean let's let's pause on that we'll come back to that and that warfare yeah. Um, uh, okay. So, okay. This is really interesting. Uh, something I'm super into actually. Anyone who works with me knows that I'm 
all about that flexible thing. So how, when you say like it's a big, it, obviously there, there's obviously some people where having flexible working is absolutely essential. Like you yeah. yourself where, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a thing. Yeah. Um, it, but it's super, you couldn't, you, you literally couldn't do it. So you had yeah. to have flexible working as an option. I'm probably being pretty naive here, but I didn't realize that businesses nowadays like didn't have flexible working because obviously post pandemic, like yeah. it's super like, um, I don't know what, I guess like non-business woke. Is that a phrase? I don't know. Like to not have a, um, yeah, do you know what I mean? To not have flexible working. Like how common is it that people like say you have to be in the office this many days a week? You'd be really amazed. We live and work. I think if you're, if you ha- own a flexible company or work in a flexible company or are surrounded by people who are freelancers and have freedom then like it becomes this echo chamber where you therefore be- believe and like your perception is altered you believe everybody is working flexibly I also had a bigger assumption like coming out of um or being in the pandemic obviously when when all of a sudden companies were going the office is dead we're never going back I assumed that there were more companies adopting flexible working than there actually are so the reason i know this is because we the way that we allow companies on flexor is we put them through what we call flexification which is like a a certification process for like a truly flexible company now i was amazed by this so we basically just benchmark against an index that we've built of thousands of different data points that measure what like average flexibility is in the market that first stage um, is like freely available. We publicize it all over our social channels and it's on our website. Um, so we get hundreds of companies doing that quiz to understand how flexible they are. And 45% of companies fail because, and there are two two big reasons that they fail. The first one is what I talked about before about flexibility not being freely available. So like you have to put in a request and that request has to be like approved or denied for a reason. Most people, because we ran a YouGov survey of this, most people, it's about 56% of people would never ask for flexible working, even if they have a reason. So that immediately is a hoop you have to jump through. Like a company will say they offer flexible working, but actually it's a very difficult process to attain that. The second reason that they will fail is because their perception of what flexible is, is very different to what it should be. So like they will think that flexible working is allowing someone to work from home when they have a doctor's appointment or if they need to take a delivery or take their dog to the vet. That's not guaranteed flexibility because you have to have a reason to ask for it on an ad hoc basis. But loads of companies believe that that option means they're flexible. What flexibility really is, is having it without having to request it and knowing that there is a minimum commitment that you can use that could be one day a week two days a week four days a week fully remote whatever but it can't be that like ad hoc or that promise of flexibility in the future if you go through all of these hoops and that's kind of the big difference um and actually companies that offer it from day one no questions asked and have that minimum commitment are much rarer than you think that's mad isn't it i literally i mean look i'm probably virtue signaling here um but i think it makes absolutely no sense to me why anyone wouldn't offer it you know surely like it's I mean, what are the reasons that people don't offer it? Because surely like, the, like it, there's enough evidence to support that if you give someone an environment whereby they can work um, freely and flexibly, they're going to give you better results. Like, okay, so you get different cultures. Like I am, I am an early bird, okay? 
I'm not going to go to the office and rock up at, I get up at like half five, five o'clock. I'm not going to rock up to the office. At seven. I've got kids, you know what I mean? And then I've got kids. I'm in the military. I'm obsessed with being up early. It's a problem. Um, but like, and I'm also really annoying because I tell everyone about it all the time to make them feel guilty. It's really important. You know that there was a, there's been an article recently about how morning people, and I'm not a morning person, how morning people are happier because like the entirety of society is set up for people that wake up somewhere between six and seven and then go to bed somewhere between like 10 and 11. Um, whereas I would happily, I don't like getting up before about half eight and I will start work at 10, but I work late. But then you constantly feel, because as you say, you're a morning person, you tell everybody you're a morning person. You always feel like yeah, you're, not, do. you're not doing well yeah. enough if you're getting up late because sleep for some bizarre reason is seen as like laziness. But actually you're getting it, yeah. the same it's, amount of sleep, you're just exactly, later. Yeah. 100% and it's so stupid as well and it's a bit like it's that thing is that when you're in the um you, if you ever see like a motivational quote from anyone it's like or like Jocko Willink I don't know if you know him he's the Navy SEAL guy who's like um he's a bit of a like an influencer and uh, they're always like yeah man you gotta get up at 4am gotta put your time in yeah. and it's like we're still awake for the same period of yeah. time <laughs> I want, actually, Molly, I want I want you to become you know, the the sleep in influencer. I want yeah. you to be the one who gets <laughs> says like, guys, yeah, my secret for success: wake up at ten, yeah, yeah, okay, get four cups of coffee in before eleven. That's basically then, my life, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And then smash it by the. That's that's what people are looking for now. That's the real. That's the real answer. You're going to become famous. You already are. You already are. Not as a food, not as a food analyst. Now the next thing. It's about becoming that what that everyone sleeping. else wants to be. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, but I, yeah, but I, I, I'm absolutely the person who bangs on about it. But anyway, the point is, like, so I rock. You know, I'm not going to rock up to the office at seven in the morning. Mm. Um, although saying that, top tip for anyone who does turning up to the office, just make sure you get there one minute earlier than the other person, so you can say you were there an hour earlier. That's the trick. That's the trick. Yeah, and then everybody acquainted. thinks that you work harder. There's also that bizarre yeah, perception that like the person that sits there on BBC it's Sport so... for the first half an hour of their day. Well, it's harder than everyone else. It is literally what everyone thinks. That's the trick to getting promoted. But yeah, it's so true. It's such a stupid thing to do. Um, it doesn't make any sense because people should be measured on their outcomes. They shouldn't be measured on how often they're working, how long yeah. they're working, whatever. And, you know, like um, anyone knows from like university, you've got some people who just sit in the library all day yeah. working. That doesn't mean they're getting better grades. It just means that they just happen to be sat at a desk for a long period of they're time. Just, and um, I, I think it's, um, like it's, it's lack of productivity. I do really think that, People are rewarded for procrastinating because it seems like you're just putting in the time when actually if you can be super efficient working 10 till 4 every day, great, do it. I'd much rather that exactly, than yeah. someone sit there for 12 hours. Yeah. I think a good analogy for this is like, you know, when you're in the gym, people look at people's bodies in the gym and their performance and how much weight they're lifting. They're not looking at how long they've been in the gym for, right? Yeah. Now we've come out of the pandemic, is flexible working being called flexible working but actually it's the opposite now because what's happened is so if you're someone like me i'm an extrovert i need to be around other people i like yep. that to be around other people to get energy off them yep. and i need that like three days a week otherwise i lose my mind yeah um but now businesses are like yeah we're completely flexible we're remote first mm. 
And it's like, well, that's that sucks for me. I don't mm. want to be remote first. Now, my business, yeah. like I've got lots of young people here. Um, no one believes I'm a millennial. We just had an argument about this in the office right now. But we've got lots of Gen Zers here. And they right. and you know, they want to come in the office, they want a social life, they want to be able to meet people. They didn't get that experience that we got when we first went to, you know, we when we first got our jobs and we were surrounded by other people. They've kind of missed out on that and they only get to be working from home. And yeah, that's a great thing you want to have, but flexibility surely means that you have both options, right? Yeah. You have both the office option and a coffee shop option and uh, and a work from home, like genuinely flexible. Yeah. Is it going the other way now post-pandemic where it's like you can only work from home? Yeah, I think it's, it's a really good point. And I think, again, it kind of plays into the hypothesis that we had when we started Flex. It was like, when people say flexible working, no one knows what that means. And your version of flexibility, as you said, like you want to be in the office three days a week, maybe work from home too. You want to start a bit earlier, probably not work too late. Um, so that's what you want. And what I want is fully remote, flexible hours, um, and maybe to meet up with people like once a month, which is what we do. So if you think about being a candidate in that scenario, you're a candidate and I'm a candidate. We want that information up front as to what the kind of flexibility is that is on offer to make an educated decision. It's not about putting a company into a box of saying this is flexible and you must be this. It's about saying embrace the working environment that you have, but make sure that you publicize it so that people can make an educated decision about where to work, which is just as important as me saying, well, I'm looking for a, a supermarket analyst job and you're looking for a strategy job. Like it's becoming just as important as skills based um, job hunting. Is that kind of what we call the secondary search? So I would hope that companies aren't striving to just say hey we all work from home and you have no option otherwise like we reward companies with higher scores when I said about the benchmarking if there's an option to go into a co-working space or an office as well as as home working as well because then you give people the choice and fundamentally flexibility is choice as well um so it's about providing information up front rather than trying to pigeonhole people it's quite a long-winded answer to get that across but I do think that job hunting is so closed it's like a black box like why shouldn't you know what a company is like to work at so that as you say if you want to go into an office you can know where you can do that and I want to be fully remote and I know where I can do that I like that a lot okay so how did you moving on to like your your founder journey so I'm super interested in this so you had a shit experience like I mean, it, it sounds brutal and I'm so sorry you had to go through that. If you want to text me the name of the guy, I'll, um, <laughs> or girl. Yeah, um, I don't want to discriminate there. Could be either. Um, I'll, uh, I'll have a chat with them. We'll start trolling them on Twitter. <laughs> the, um, but, um, and I'm so how did you, what made you decide? Like, how did you make yeah. that leap? I'm always fascinated to say like, what gave you the confidence to say, like, here's a problem. I think I can solve it. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, zero qualifications do this to run a, would you call yourself yeah. a recruitment business? What would you, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, do you know what I mean? It's like, yes. It's really, yeah, we don't really, I guess what's been interesting is that creating this business has led us to kind of category create in a sense, which sounds really wanky as a term, but like there's no, no other. No, it doesn't. It sounds sensationally good for fundraising. <laughs> Bravo. <laughs> um, there's no direct competitor. Like we're not a hiring platform. We're not a recruiter, but we're still in HR and we still exist in the recruitment space. It's a bit funny. I believe HR is referred to as the fun police officially. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> okay, Sometimes, so, definitely. Yes, definitely. So how did you, um, but how, what gave you the confidence to go and do this? Obviously, you're super smart and there's no denying that. So um, what gave you the confidence to make the leap? And what was the first thing you did, by the way? Did you just identify a problem? Were you doing some research? Talk me through that process. It was really, it was really weird, actually. It's going to take me a little while to explain it. So as I said, um, Marius, my partner, and I were talking. Now, Flexor wasn't my idea. Um, it was his idea. So back in July 2019, um, Morris was leaving his job. He'd been at Betfair for like five years. It was super flexible, great place to work, but been there for a while. So he was like, I'm looking for something new. He was struggling to know also the same flexibility thing of like, will I be able to take the dog to the office? Do we have a dog? Or will I be able to scruff. work from home a couple of days? His name's actually Gruff, so pretty close. <laughs> oh, Gruff, Gruff, not Scruff, Gruff. <laughs> I've got it wrong. I saw it on the uh, on on this looking. At. I was like, that was my the only thing I saw on the Twitter. Yeah, it's literally like more dog pics, please. Come on, <laughs> our um our uh, chief our chief commercial officer is my dog Nancy. Yep. <laughs> That's excellent. Um, <laughs> so he was looking about flexibility. I we were then talking about like how difficult it is and why it doesn't make sense. Um, because he was leaving his job. And like waiting for the right, he was in the fortunate position to be able to wait for the right opportunity to come along. Um, when we'd had the idea for Flexer, we suddenly thought, well, maybe this is actually something. Like I was still working, but maybe this is something worth exploring. So the first thing we did was I bought him a whiteboard, which is still behind me there. And just buy um, the pull up bar. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I bought him a whiteboard and said, maybe. You should run with this for a while and I'll help you. And like we can kind of work it out if this is worth exploring. Um, neither of us had any clue as to what we were doing at all. Um, like I'd never considered myself as someone who would start a business, and I don't think Morris had either. Um, because we were doing reasonably well in our careers anyway. Like the, the starting a business has such an enormous opportunity cost that no one talks about such as you can't get a mortgage. Um, <laughs> there are loads of, I can go into that later. There's so much that you sacrifice. I don't think people realize. Um, so yeah, bought a whiteboard, was like, I think we should run with this. Then the role that I was at, I also um, moved on from. And then I moved, we were kind of getting a bit excited about the idea of starting a business, but like hadn't really made any progress on it. We just kind of decided what we were going to do. And then I moved to work part time so that I could help him a couple of days a week on Flexa. We then stupidly, because we didn't know what we were doing, started fundraising like pre-concept, pre-everything, like talking to people, see if we get some money. Obviously, no one was going to give us any money. But no, again, we didn't know. Sorry. So when you were there, sorry. So when you say you're raising your pre-concept, so you were just like going out to people saying, hey, me and Morris, we have an idea. We're well smart. We're, we're really smart. Oh, so you had a PowerPoint. You had like, yeah, a, yeah. So, what, so tell me what you had. Tell me what you had at that point. We had a PowerPoint and some people saying okay. they thought it was a good idea. <laughs> okay. So you had just, just idea, like problem. This yeah. is what we're going to build. Here's a little bit of market analysis. Um, here's how, yeah, what we trying to raise, like, what, like, a hun- like a bit of SEIS, like 100K or what we trying to do? Yeah. Like I think we were trying to do like 150K at that point. Classic um, and didn't work. Of course not. Like why? <laughs> like a everyone hates the recruitment space. There are seventy five thousand job platforms. At that time, we were kind of more of a pure play flexible job platform. We've totally pivoted from that. But like, 
that's what we were. I am not surprised looking back that no one would would touch it. So we were like, fuck you guys, we're gonna do it anyway. Um yes. and we well we were too far in at that point, like <laughs> Yeah yeah. Um How far in were you time wise at that point? Oh uh, not far. Like um three months. Three months, yeah. I always think I um because when you when you start a business, you have you start off and you have, oh, here's my savings. <laughs> okay. And then what you do is you're obviously dipping into it. And that there is a runway there of life that you have that people yeah. forget about before you start to raise money. And of course you can work part time, which means that runway might last for a bit longer, but ultimately yeah. like three months in, that's some spend, right? Yeah. I mean, luckily I was, I was working four days a week and Morris was kind of ad hoc contracting. So like, oh, we weren't in a bad okay, position. So infinite like, runway. Great. Yeah. 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 So like it was perfectly sustainable um, and it wasn't full time. We were on it. And then we were like, well, we can't build websites. Um, so look, we should probably find a CTA. So we posted on angel list and um, we found Tim. He's still our CTA. It was great. There you go. Look but, at that. And were you um, like, and so what you, on that, I, I, I want to dig into that really quickly. Um, did you, did you say you were going to pay him? Or were you no. just like, Equity. Which like, hey, dude, do, do, do you want do you want a bit of equity to come and work for me? How many people applied? Yeah. A lot of people applied. How many were good? Like two. That's good. That's a pretty good ratio. Yeah. <laughs> we honestly, we were so lucky to find Tim. Like, I don't know where we wouldn't be here yeah. if we hadn't found it. But Tim was in Tim's background is very different to Morris and mine. Like, we're both quite corporate. He'd started a startup, sold it to Oliver Wyman, and he was doing his earn out there, and then right. it was all coming to an right. end. So, like. Kind of made sense um so we found him started building an mvp um moved into alpha testing it in like december again we still didn't really know what we were doing like what does that mean what's the, i don't even know what alpha testing means closed so like it's you're testing it it's not a live website out in the open like you test it with like friends and family basically um just to okay. make sure that it all works then we moved into beta testing which is like open but it's still a test environment like it's yep it's basically an excuse for your website not being very good um <laughs> but we tested it for a while with people they really liked it and then we launched um yeah in, in mid-february 2020 so like three weeks before the pandemic hit which is like a wild time to launch flex away in the current climate marketing is hard but do you know what isn't hard making sure you never miss an episode of your favourite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that, please leave us a review. It would mean so much. So up to this point, so you're bootstrapped, like you're self-funding, three three of you running the whole business. Like Mm -hmm. how, when is three of you doing something like that early stage? And a lot of people ask this question all the time. How yeah. do you decide who does what? Are you all doing everything? Or were mm. you like, yeah, obviously, look, you know, you, you, you and Morris, like you've got your own skill sets. Obviously, look, Tim, he's the CTO. We get what Tim's doing, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. But like, you know, you're a food expert. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what is it? What do you, what do you, well, how do you decide what you're doing there in each of those? Are you just doing everything and seeing what you're good at? Yeah. So Tim just did all the tech stuff, any SEO, like the shit that needs someone technical um yeah we left him to do that and then morris and i i think one of the big benefits of and we can talk about it more in detail later is that like when you work with your partner you are always with them 
and you're always talking. And I think that made the evolution of our roles easier and quicker. So if anyone had looked at what they thought, knowing us, we might have ended up doing, it's actually the opposite to what happened. So I'd obviously come at it from the candidate experience and Morris was coming at it from the kind of business side. Morris now looks after the D2C side and I look after B2B and products. Like we would never have seen that evolution happen. Um, we just picked up everything. Uh, it sounds like it's a cop out of an answer, but you just know what has to be done and you just find someone who can do it. And I think when there's no other option, you can't delegate. It's either get this done or you won't make progress or your business will fail or I don't know, something terrible will happen. Like you just sort it out. And then over through that time, you kind of work out who's good at stuff and who isn't. Um, I don't think that's we, cop out at all. I think that's exactly, I think that's startup best practice, right? Yeah. You know, everyone, people are afraid to admit that when you start a company for the first time, no one has any fucking clue what they're doing. Like no. literally none. The yeah, only and thing, anyone who goes and, yeah. The only thing that I was any good at was the user testing of the, the website because I'd done that in my previous job and the stuff that Morris was good at was finance because he's a trained accountant. So like, and also- um, That's a win. Digital yeah. marketing as well because he'd, run the uk and ireland division of betfair so like on the sports side so like he had experience from performance marketing and finance and i could i taught myself website design to do it and user test user researching and that was kind of like the only skills that we had and then we built everything else on top there's something great about that there's a real there's a real superpower in naivety i think i think when you don't understand the complexities of a problem yeah, and the reality so much you can better. go through. I think exactly because you just approach it with that beginner mindset. You're like, I'm just going to give this a go. Like, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to go and try this out. You don't worry about the problems that you're going to see at the end of it. No. You worry about. You start thinking about the outcomes. You start thinking about what it is you could achieve through it. Yeah, and it's the so, next tiny steps in front of you. Like, I think if someone had told me what we'd go through in 18 months, I'd have been like, no, not doing that. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I love that. If someone says to you, "Yeah, would you would you start a business again?" Having been, no, <laughs> like yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, horrible. Yeah. So you um, so you started a business with your partner. Yeah. Now, how long had you been together before you started the business? Don't say two weeks. <laughs> oh God, God no. Um, how long had we been together before we started the business? Eighteen months. Okay, right. So like fairly significant already like it was all you already knew each other pretty well because i think a lot of people when they think about starting a business with a partner people are a bit like oh don't do that and you know you get a lot of vcs that will quote to you the most common reason for startup failure isn't running out of money it's not no product market fit the truth is it's found a fallout right okay and that happens all the time yeah and so people are a bit like like is there a risk that if these two fall out but i just think it's absolute bollocks like i, I think, think it you know, is bollocks yeah yeah i'm like yeah people say like like I started a business with my, he's my, he's my best mate. And the fact is like, I can say whatever the fuck I want to him. And I know mm -hmm. he's still going to be there. We can yeah. argue, we can shout. He's still going to be there. Like if I do that to Rosie, our producer, she's probably going to sue me. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, you have that kind of like, you have that, that, yeah, there is a safety that comes to them and also a trust because you can be insecure with them. Yeah. You can say like, actually, look, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, we had this, 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 uh, she's one of my close friends, Emma come on the show and she started a hedge fund with her husband and everyone's like, and she has this great quote and she always says, um, 
Well, the truth is, because we're married, he owns half of the business anyway. So it's probably <laughs> better that you know him. Yeah, it's, it's better that you know him rather than him just be someone who sat in my yeah. kitchen at home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. So, we, well, I mean, talk to me. Like, what, what, what was that experience like? And would you recommend it to other people? <clears throat> I would. I think that there are a few things that you'd have to think about before you did it. And I think a lot of it depends on the kind of person that you are. So, or the kind of couple that you are as well. Um, I think if there are any barriers to your communication, you shouldn't start a business together. If you worry about talking about specific things um, or you get worried about having, you know, two of you disagreeing or things get very emotional, then I really wouldn't recommend starting a business together. It just happens that Morris and I are pretty rational people. We talk about everything. Um, and we're very aware of our strengths and weaknesses as well I think is 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 quite a good thing in all honesty I would we would never have been able to do this without each other I think that's the probably the biggest thing that I've realized is when people go oh isn't that difficult like no it's made things 10 times easier because you're not doing it on your own like I know obviously starting a business with a friend or a co-founder there is still someone there but they're not there for you fully in every respect you know when you'll have when you're genuinely worried about the future of what you're doing who broaches that first you know when you're when your friends or co-founders like who starts to get cold feet about it whereas then when you're in a couple you have to talk about that because it defines the whole of the rest of your life together um so i think it's made it a lot easier because there's always someone to work through like if you're up at one in the morning working on a stupid 50th version of an investor deck there's someone there with you and I think also having that emotional support and as you say like that vulnerability makes an enormous difference to facing challenges and keeping going and also knowing when to switch off because like you can't always be working we definitely do go to the pub and just talk about flexor but we'll also try and try and take time off and go on holiday and actually switch off um and I think when the other person is is completely in it with you, then you feel like that's more acceptable. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think it's I think it's I think it's a smart move as well. Like you know, rather than starting a business with someone who you sort of know from work and you don't really like, say, so I think that communication thing is absolutely king. Yeah. So you um so you had a, a pretty rubbish first experience of raising money. I'm assuming it's gone better now. Yeah. So uh, so what? <laughs> I don't um, know. I don't know actually. Um, so, we did so raise just close around. Yeah, you raised around September. September. How much did you close? What did you do? Two fifty. Um, Decent, nice. Sort of pre-seed, really, yeah. Yeah, pre-seed with some really great investors. Um, no one ever says the opposite, Molly. No one ever says we raised two fifty with some really shit investors. <laughs> no one ever says that. Yeah, yeah, well, don't don't take money from people that you think are tosses. Um, no matter how stuck I've you get. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we raised. Buy one out. Yeah. Raised 250 in September. That allowed us to hire two people, which is great. Um, and also get to the point they, now where... Do they have flexible working or do you force them to come in the office? <laughs> Can you imagine just the two of them in there, set hours in great. the office every That'd day? Great. That'd be perfect. That'd be the, um, best, the best cliche of all time. That'd be amazing. No, we've got... We're pretty... I mean, I think it's much easier for any small team, but like someone, Chris, who's our sales guy, starts at like eight o'clock, half seven, finishes at four... Shannon and he's our marketing manager um doesn't really go to sleep till four in the morning so she'll start at like half 10 
where later an RCCO, I think he's actually nocturnal. Um, <laughs> so he starts at like one and then we'll get updates from him on Slack at like 2 a.m. <laughs> like, what are you Amazing. doing? Um, Amazing. And then I, I happily work kind of 10 till seven. Um, completely flexible. But yeah, it allowed us to, to hire and get to the point that we're at, which is great. Like we grew even quicker than we kind of anticipated. We've got like 70 paying companies that we're working with about 270,000 users. Um, yeah, so it's, it's really, really decent traction on, on both sides. And the kind of evolution of the business has been really promising, but we are trying to raise a seed round now. And as I said earlier, like about your brain blocking out trauma, I think I forgot how hard the pre-seed was. Um, yeah, it's it's a look, and you never, you always do. Like, you know, you're always raising. We've just done, um, we're just going into our series A now. And, yeah. Uh, you know, um, we we just we just closed another check recently. Um, some congratulations. Notes, but thanks. I look. I fucking love pitching. You know, like I always say to people, like, what you got an hour to talk about yourself? Sounds like the dream. Do you want to? Do you um, want to come and do ours? <laughs> happily, like, I, I love genuinely, genuinely. I absolutely love it. I I do. I always think. I think people's mindset when they go into pitches should never be. It's really easy to say in advance, but um, over time I was like, you should never be nervous going into a pitch. No. Like you've built something sensational and you're giving someone the opportunity to ride that wave with you. Yeah. Okay. Now, and if they turn you down, they're not turning you down. They're turning it down because it might not fit their thesis. You mm. might have just done a bad pitch that way. Whatever. It doesn't matter. There is someone out there that'll invest in you uh, for the right reasons. And also, I promise you, like that person is going to regret not investing in you. <laughs> okay. So I hope. Because, you know, yeah, they will. Because if you believe, then you're going to make it a success. I, I think that's half of the, the challenge of being a founder is just having the perseverance to keep going, you know, because so many yeah. people quit as they go, you know, and whether that be through pivoting or whatever. So what did you learn from the last experience of pitching and raising money? What did you, what are you going to take from that last process that you did badly or you did well and bring it into this one? I, I think I find um, VC pitching incredibly frustrating. And I... There are some great VCs out there, don't get me wrong. Some of them are great and they listen and they have imagination and they actually care about you as founders as well as just like, does it scale, you know? Um, or are you doing something groundbreaking, which is ironic because they're all investing in instant grocery delivery, which is all the same um, and will never be profitable and will never make any money. So that's a completely different round that I enjoy talking about. Um, but we've come up against the fact that investors don't generally in the UK like the recruitment industry very much because it was over-invested in a few years ago. And people hear that we're in that sector and they're just shut down. They're like, well, you'll never out-compete LinkedIn or Indeed or Total Jobs, but we're not competing with them anyway. So I find that very hard when it's just, just a no and people don't listen. Um, but there are some great VCs that are much more interested in that, like, category creation and the idea that like the system is broken and it needs fixing um but interestingly a lot of that interest has come from like scandinavia and the nordics um because they're i think more in tune to work-life balance happiness like the balance between employers and employees being more equal i think that the uk is a little bit behind on that um but one thing that i, I definitely did learn from pre-seed is as you said, like you have to find the person that wants to come on that journey with you. Like you're not begging for money. You're inviting someone in to facilitate your growth. 
And I think it's remembering that balance that really helps you because it changes your mindset and you get less defensive about things. It's more of a discussion. Um, and the most, I also think that another thing I've learned is that the more informal you can keep those VC pitches and conversations, the better. Like if you go in with like pitch decks and like loads of stuff and you want to have a conversation in a really structured way, it often goes worse. Um, so those are kind of two things that I definitely learned, but I can't say that we've cracked it. We haven't. Um, we often have conversations about like, maybe we're just really shit at this. Um, cause it's one area that like we have really struggled with. And I don't think that founders talk about that. I find it very, uh, what's the word disingenuous when you see people posting and my favorite example is you see people posting on LinkedIn. Um, and I'm a bit of a cynic. So people will be like, I raise money in two weeks after founding this business. And then you look on company's house and it's like five years old and they just pivoted and then they pretended like they raised money two weeks later. Like there's so much toxic positivity and false information out there. And I wish that people would talk about how fucking hard it is because it is. I love that word, toxic positivity. I definitely am one of those people. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm all about toxic masculinity and toxic positivity. <laughs> That's what I am. I'm just spreading that all the time. You're perpet perpetuating the lies. <laughs> I am constantly all the time. It's really annoying because I genuinely did raise my second round in two weeks. But I will admit, I will admit the first round took me nine months and the second round, it only took yeah, two weeks. Be well, let me tell you why it take took two weeks. It took two weeks because we weren't intending to raise. Yeah. Um, so we were approached. I didn't yeah. reach out. We were approached. Yeah. We had a conversation. We decided to go with it. We got a term sheet and then just ran around to all others being like, ha ha. Do you want to join the ride? You know, yeah. it was a bit like that. So it wasn't like a, yeah. And um, yeah, I'm, I'll happily admit that during the first round, um, yeah, I, 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 I very publicly talk about the fact that it was fucking shit and I was going to, I thought I was going to quit. In fact, yeah. I think actually at one point I did quit. I just didn't tell anyone. And then uh, you just, yeah. yeah. And then then came like, back again after a couple of weeks. Yeah. You're yeah. like, oh. Well, we, well, I am. Um, Yes, this is a funny story. So I was, I had quit and I'd gone to see my friend, Emma, who was on the show, as I mentioned earlier, I went to go and see her to talk about the fact that I was going to give up on it. And someone overheard me pitching to her and then he offered to invest. That's how we got our first money. Wow, um, that's amazing. So if it wasn't for that, and that was in a coffee shop, really good one actually, up in Belsize Park. Um, but uh, if, um, if it hadn't been for him, oh, me having, well, too loud a voice, I uh, probably would have quit. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. But it is super, and you're right, that toxic positivity is a real problem in startups because... It makes you feel shit if you haven't done it in that much pace. And it's a bit like, fuck, I, you know, it's like, it's a valuation thing as well. You always think to yourself like, oh my God, my business is only worth like X million. Does that mean that I'm failing? Yeah. yeah does that mean that like, you know, if you have, if someone has an exit and it's like a couple of million or whatever like that, and then they've managed to buy themselves a house and financial freedom for the rest of their life, but it's not for, you know, for nine figures, everyone's like, you're a fucking loser. Yeah, yeah I know. Like, and then, but then that's so also mad, the VC isn't criteria, isn't it? Like I, I, I find it very interesting, the mentality of like, loads of VCs are obviously looking for the next unicorn and they will only invest in businesses that they see as having billion dollar potential. Fine. The, th the trouble is, is that then they will take a punt on 20, 50 companies becoming unicorns. Like your likelihood of that is so, so low. What I think would make much more sense is if we're like, yeah, yeah, we're obviously looking for a unicorn. But if we see really solid potential of this business growing to like 200 or 300 million, we will take that as well because you have a much higher chance of success on that and you do taking a punt on a load of unicorns. So that's, again, I, I do find like the investment theses and like the ideas around it a bit confusing. 
and no one's You're trying ever... to apply logic to a non to an illogical process. But that's here. the problem. Like it should be logical. Yeah. Like you're funding yeah. businesses that will support an economy, different industries. Um, they will be the ones that innovate and disrupt markets. Like it should be a logical, rational process. It shouldn't just be the whim of someone. And like the process now is that someone who's just fresh out of uni screens it, then Chinese whispers goes along to a VP and then that goes along to a partner and you never actually pitched that right person. So like I, I, yeah, I could talk all day about how the system's broken, but I really do think it is. Yeah. I look, and I 100% agree with you. What is your one piece of advice that you would give to yourself or to anyone else starting a business? Mm. I always have the same piece of advice is ignore everyone's advice until everyone is telling you the same thing. Then start listening. Okay, so you're telling me that I should just shave my head because I'm going bald. Brilliant. That's good. It's not what I always hear. Sounds like <laughs> well, if everyone's time. telling you, then maybe. That's enough from you. Okay. <laughs> Secondly, what was, the, uh, what was the one mistake you made that you hope others don't make? Yeah, it's actually like the flip side of that. Um, we listened to too many people and their opinions in the start. And that <sighs> led us down this like wiggly pathway two steps forward three steps back fucking up loads of shit <laughs> because people told us that it was the right thing to do and like it, we wasted a lot of time listening to other people that we saw as having more experience and more knowledge than we did but actually no one knows your business better than you do i love that i think it's really smart um molly you've been sensational thanks so much for coming to the show i really appreciate it thank you so much for having me it's been great <laughs>